This episode of Safe Space Radio is brought to you by the Pink House Foundation and listeners like you. From WMPG, this is Safe Space Radio, a show about the subjects we would struggle with less if we could talk about them more. I'm Ann Hallward, a psychiatrist in Portland, Maine, and today we continue our series on PTSD among women who have served in the military. Military sexual trauma, often abbreviated as MST, refers to sexual assault or protracted sexual harassment while serving in active duty. In 2013, when all incoming veterans were screened for PTSD, a little over 77,000 women screened positive for military sexual trauma and over 57,000 men. Clearly, this is a tremendous problem that we know can lead to PTSD, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and suicide. Kate Weber is an Army veteran and survivor of military sexual trauma. She has testified in front of the California State Assembly regarding military sexual assaults and has spoken all over the country on this topic. She was also featured in the Oscar-nominated 2013 documentary, The Invisible War. Welcome to Safe Space Radio, Kate. Hi, Anne. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to get to know a little bit about you before you enlisted. When you decided you wanted to join the Army, what were you hoping for? I was 17 when I enlisted in the Army, and I was just kind of a go-getter, you know, working full-time, going to school. Just I wanted more than what my town had to offer. So um, I was pretty ready to get out of Novato, California. (laughs) (laughs) So today, I think we've heard so much about uh, the risk of sexual assault in the military that um, it feels pretty daunting. But back then, there was much less known about it. Did you have any sense when you enlisted that this might be an issue that you would have to contend with? Yes, I did. Um, The tailhook scandal, which was an Air Force pilot scandal, happened right before my enlistment. And That was a convention of uh, fighter pilots who, male and female, um, were all kind of stuck in a hallway and some females were trying to get down the hall and they had to face a gauntlet of male pilots who were groping and sexually assaulting them. And they were reported and it was dealt with immediately. I remember thinking, oh, good, now the military knows this exists, and if anything, they're going to clean this up or make this, you know, um, less of an issue. So your sense at the time was that the kind of public awareness that that raised was actually going to be really protective for you? Yeah, I thought, if anything, um, that that event would keep me safer because we can't change what we don't acknowledge, and I, I had faith in military leadership at that time. So I was expecting that, you know, if anything, they would, you know, clean that up. Um, And I was totally mistaken. The impression I had of the way the military handles things before I enlisted and the way I see it now, completely different. So I want to go back now to when you were 17. And I, I understand that was back in 1993. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And so you are posted as a young private to Nuremberg, Germany. What was your job when you got there? So my job in Germany was to ship our American Army tanks from point A to point B, and they would go out in the field. So we would drop off their equipment for them. They'd be out there getting dirty and playing war for a month or two. And then when their training was over, we would pick up their equipment, put it back on the German railroad, and bring it back to their base. And that was my job. And what was your official title? 
Transportation Management Coordinator, also known as an 88 November, an 88N. So what was it like for you when you first got there, and who did you work with? I was really excited to be on my own. When I got to Germany, I was put in a, a, a barracks um, and given a room full of furniture that I could do whatever I wanted with, and uh, a door I could close, and music I could blast, and... Um, you know, I was just really excited. Um, when I landed in Germany, I had just literally turned 18. So the six months of training that I experienced, I was still 17. And so as soon as I got to Germany, being an 18-year-old, you know, now I could drink. And, you know, I was just experiencing so many cultural new things, um, even in just the first days of my being there. But my rape happened um, two weeks after I landed in Germany. So I don't really have much of a story about what it was like there prior to the sexual assault. So tell me the story of what happened then two weeks after. Your well, um, I had been in my, my barracks for almost two weeks, and um, I had met some of my new unit members who invited me to come out to a German dance club, which was called Hollywood Park. And which sounded very American to me. And I was thrilled to go do something American after two weeks of being a German. So um, I went in a, a taxi load of people and we went to Hollywood Park. And um, I had not yet received a paycheck uh, while I was in Germany. So for the first two weeks that I was there, I didn't have the basics, pots, pans, groceries, you know, just basic things. And so earlier in that day, I went to the finance office, which was across from my office building, and requested a casual pay, which would be an advancement on my paycheck. And so um, a nice young man who worked at the finance office had me come behind the counter, and um, he opened up the computer and kind of talked to me and said, oh, you're you're from the, you know, the town you were born in is where I'm from, and we kind of, you know, hit it off friendly, and I felt like maybe I had just made a friend, and he issued me a check for $1,000, and I left, and I went to go get my pots and pans and um, some food and some new clothing, which would be the first civilian clothes I had worn in about seven months, and so I was all ready to go in my new civilian outfit, and I had a full belly from food, and I was a happy camper, and... Uh, I get to the club and I see that uh, man from the finance office, the same soldier that had assisted me earlier in the day. And he was there at this club with his pregnant wife. And immediately what I thought when I saw him dancing with his wife and that she was so largely pregnant was what a sweet guy to bring his wife to the dance club at, you know, 1030 at night. Like I just thought that was sweet, um, kind. And he said to me, hey, private because he was a specialist. He was an E4, I was an E1, so he called me private, which was, you know, to kind of put me in check that I'm a nobody. Um, hey, private, I'd like to talk to you about your paychecks, so on your next smoke break, come and get me, and we'll go outside, and we'll talk about it. So I said, okay, and um, a couple minutes passed, and I started getting kind of worried, thinking, well, what does he know about my paychecks? Like, you know, so... Um, I went and told him, you know, I was going out on smoke break and he said, here, let's go this way. And so I followed him and we went out the front door and around the side of the building where I thought since there was some lighting out there, I kind of thought he was still taking me to some place that other people would be. 
But um, as we got further away from the building, I noticed that, you know, I was about to get isolated here, but I, I really wasn't scared. I wasn't thinking at that time anything. And so I went up this fire escape with him, um, like two stories, and we sat down and um, looked toward the back of the club where there were railroad tracks. And um, when I stood, when I started to sit down, he basically attacked me and, um, you know, kind of flipped me around and threw me over the railing and I really couldn't breathe. And he was, you know, raping me from behind and I tried to get away and he punched me in the face and it was becoming extremely violent and really quickly. And I just completely dissociated at that moment. Um, and it's as if I was watching what was happening to me from far away. So, um, you know, my experience at that moment was I had no feelings. I just knew that when I, was being assaulted that something disconnected inside of me. And I still felt that I needed to get away because this guy was continuing to hurt me. And um, I threw my leg over the railing to get away from him and he pushed me. And I fell two stories down the fire escape to the ground and I couldn't believe he pushed me. So I felt like that, you know, when you go on a ride or a roller coaster and that feeling of your stomach going kind of up into your throat, that's the last feeling I remember. And I woke up there alone. I just felt so dirty. And I mean, I was naked from the waist down and I had rocks and stuff, dirt stuck to the back of my legs and my butt. And, you know, I just felt so like left for dead, basically. And uh, I grabbed my skirt, I pulled it down and I went back in front of the club where I saw just hundreds of soldiers and I jumped in the back of a taxi and had them take me home by myself. And the people I was with that night, some of them made up rumors that I had, you know, slept with somebody and that's why I disappeared. So the next morning when I reported the assault, um, it wasn't exactly successful in my getting wrapped around and loved. Um, instead I was, pretty isolated and immediately labeled as a liar. Um, apparently this rapist had been on base for quite a while and people knew him and his pregnant wife and his other child and did not believe what I was saying about what he had done to me. So I went to the hospital. This is the day after the rape. Um, and I had um, time with a lieutenant colonel who was an MD, and I told him what happened to me, and he wrote in my paperwork, patient states she was sexually assaulted, and then he allowed me to take a day off of work and gave me some Vicodin for my pain. Um, at that time, my back was injured. I didn't know about it. I was just in coping mode, and so survival mode, you know, and um, it was it was rough. It, 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 the retaliation and the responses from the people I had reported this to was m much more devastating than the assault itself. I think if I had been able to get some love and some support and immediate help, uh, I'd be a different person today. Kate, such a profound story. I'm I'm so sorry this happened yeah. to you. I mean, I, I'm still at the point of like, of course you trusted him. He's there with his pregnant wife. Yeah. Yeah. The pregnant wife thing was kind of like 
a selling point. It's all what I resolved in my head ahead of time, you know? Those are all the things that crossed my mind. Like, I had to ask myself for the last 20 years, like, what was it that made me go there with him? And why weren't my red flags working, you know? And honestly, it's because nothing traumatic had ever happened to me. So it just completely blindsided me. I want to come back to there you are. You've gone home in a taxi. It's the next day. And you, who do you decide to tell first? The next morning, I was expected to be in a run with my group of um, fellow lower enlisted people like, you know, like myself. So I went to the formation and I began to run next to my quote unquote battle buddy who was a 30-year-old woman who was in the Army for over 10 years and a mother of two children, which is why I went to her. I really expected a maternal loving response. So we were running in formation, and I started having some severe cramping and cervical pain. And I fell out of the run, and um, she stopped with me and asked me what was going on. And I just blurted out, specialist so-and-so raped me last night at Hollywood Park. And I explained that I needed to go see a doctor. And she said she's known him for years. She's no, she knows his pregnant wife. He would never do that. Never. He would never, ever rape anybody. He is not that kind of person. Like, he just doesn't have it in him. This is all the explaining she's doing to me as I'm laying on the ground, you know, writhing in pain. And... um she told me, you know, you're probably just a little slut and then walked away from me and left me on the sidewalk. And I got up and walked back to my unit, which was not very far. And everyone else was still on their run. And I went back in the office and I said, I need to see a doctor immediately. And that's when I went to the clinic and was able to see that lieutenant colonel who wouldn't examine me, but did put in writing what I was claiming. Why didn't he examine you? I think he was afraid of me to be honest with you. I mean, I couldn't understand why a gray-haired, you know, man, my father's age, who's an MD, <laughs> would be afraid of me as the victim. But honestly, without direction, guidance, training, what would he do with me, you know? At that time, did doctor's offices in the military have rape kits? No, no. And they had every... I, I mentioned to them that I still had, you know, evidence... And they weren't interested in any of that. I never met a sexual assault response nurse, nothing. So, Kate, I am still astounded that you are reporting a sexual assault and he doesn't even examine you. So so there's no documentation and he decides to give you one day off. Yeah, I got the rest of that day off. Yep. And he said that um, he believed that I had cervical bruising. Apparently that happens to, you know, married women too. So I was just fine. That's what he told me, you know? I mean, it's just some of the things that people said to me were just so offensive. So you said that you were treated badly afterwards as retaliation. So I want to really spend some time talking about that. Mm -hmm. How did people find out that you'd reported? Did the woman that you'd gone on oh, that run with tell yeah, people? She, yeah. So right after I spoke to the battle buddy and told her what had happened and she called me a slut. She went straight to my rapist's office at the finance building and in front of all of his co-workers, she told him, there's a redhead in my unit who just got here who's saying that you raped her last night. I know your wife. 
I know your family. We're good friends. I suggest you take care of it before it becomes a bigger problem. So she was doing that to protect him, not to yes, accuse him. That was about him, not me. Yes, that was about protecting him and his family. And initially he was stalking me because he found out I was from San Francisco and he wanted me to prove to him that I don't have AIDS in writing. So he was hiding in my barracks room one day, about four days after the rape. And I came home from work, opened my door, and he was right there. And he threatened me and held me by my throat. And he said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to do anything to you. You just need to know that, you know, I don't want my wife to get AIDS. So I need you to prove to me that you don't have AIDS. I need you to go in for an AIDS test. And I had already seen that doctor, you know, a couple days prior. So I went back to him. And I said, I realize I just took these before I deployed. But the records aren't here in Germany yet. They haven't arrived. So I can't show this guy. So the rapist wants proof. Can you help me? And within a couple days, I had the results of a new HIV test in my hands. And I carried it around in the pocket of my uniform until I saw that dude again. And um, he came to my barracks one more time, a second time. And um, I showed him the paperwork. And he heard my neighbor clunking around in the room and next thing you know he opened the windows and jumped out the windows like Batman or something and I just felt like nobody cared nothing was accounted for nobody even knew that now the rapist had been in my barracks room twice you know not even a sergeant or anyone knew how he got in there why he got in there no one held him accountable nobody said hey you you can't go in there Nobody called his commander and said, he's got to leave her alone. Nothing. So I just remained in Germany for another nine months, scared to death that, you know, that was going to happen to me again by the same guy or a different person. I really didn't know. So when you, okay, I'm just still taking all this in, Kate. So your rapist wants to know if you have AIDS and you go to the doctor and they get you AIDS tested. But meanwhile, when you showed up reporting a sexual assault, they didn't test you for AIDS then or for You chlamydia? got it. Right. That's right. And when he when he did this AIDS test, he also did an STD test and a um, pregnancy test on me. So in 2003, when I was, you know, at the worst of my PTSD and um, I had filed a claim with the Department of Veterans Affairs regarding the sexual assault, those records and those secondary tests results came up as evidence. Because why would I get an HIV or pregnancy test two weeks after I just already had one? You know, and so um, that was one of the mitigating factors in the decision to rate me at 100% was the evidence that I did have. And that's what many of us struggle with is not having any evidence. And some of us even want it to go away so much that we throw away evidence, you know, pictures, letters, just anything that had anything to do with discussing any of that. Well, I can appreciate that. I think the thing that still blows my mind is that you got the appropriate medical screening at his request for his needs and not for yours. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was a very crazy time in my life. I definitely felt like there was something wrong with my brain, the way things were going around me. You know, I just, I knew I was in a corrupt place and um, 
that I couldn't be effective there. It sounds no. corrupt to its core. Yeah. There was just nothing I could do to clean that up. And so the word spreads immediately that you have reported this rape. Mm-hmm. And can you describe a moment of how you actually experienced the retaliation? You know, I just remember feeling sick for like the last nine months after that happened. Just really toxic, you know, and... um I couldn't shake it because I didn't have any help. I had no psychiatric help. I didn't really even have, you know, I had one friend, one close girlfriend. And she was, you know, seven years older than I was. And um, she really held my hand through that period of time. But um, we didn't spend much time talking about the assault. It was just a person that was always there for me that would never leave me at a club or, you know, she was just a really good friend. And that's pretty much all I had. So when I tried to reimmerse myself back into that group of people that I went to the club with initially, you know, they all already thought that I took off with some guy and spent the night somewhere, you know, and so the rumor mill started and there was no turning back. And I still hadn't been examined and nobody to concur with me that, in fact, I had been injured and that I, you know, needed some care, you know, for a few different things, you know. Right. So you've so. sustained multiple injuries. You haven't received any gynecological care. Nothing. You've received no. absolutely no emotional or psychological care after a Mm-mm. traumatic assault. Yeah. I got I got help about six months later. I got to see a psychiatrist once or twice. Um, who I did report the assault to, and they sent me to an orthopedic surgeon who checked me out and told me that um, I have a couple bulging discs and spina bifida occulta, but that I don't you know, need anything from the Army. They don't need to put a rod in my back or anything. It's, it's nothing. It'll heal itself. And um, I've been dealing with this injury for over 20 years. You know, it's very painful. And um, I've had to have, you know, cortisone and Botox injections and I have a lot of muscle spasm issues from tension and stress. I just don't, it goes straight to my body. It's very somatic for me and I don't choose it to be that way. But unfortunately, sometimes it, you know, causes a lot of pain issues. And, you know, I, I work really hard to overcome those, but it's, it's really difficult. You know, the depression and anxiety that still hangs out, you know, I mean, 20 years later, I thought I'd be different and I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm definitely growing and changing, but I'm not at all who I was planning on being. I want to ask you more about retaliation. Okay. So your battle buddy goes immediately, blurts out in front of a a crowd of people that you had reported the rape, suggests that he try to silence you. Mm -hmm. His friends, because he's been around for years, basically collude in that silencing. And so the word has gone out that you are you're reporting this rape and the view is that this that you you're being blamed for it as if you were a slaughter at problem troublemaker. Yes, and I did notice that the single men in my unit that were kind to me initially were now treating me poorly, excluding me, and um even were saying things like, Don't hang out with Weber, which is my last name. She'll say that you raped her. So no one wanted to be alone with me. Nobody wanted to hang out with me. They just avoided me. And I isolated and I wrote a lot in my diary. One time I was being taught how to um, change the oil inside of a Humvee motor. And uh, I was standing on the tire 
and leaning over the motor while it was running. And um, someone came up behind me, a, a guy who didn't like me a lot, and as a matter of fact, someone who used to cough and say a bad word that starts with a C, used to say that to me all the time, cough and then say that word, just in passing. It was terrible. And he came up behind me that day and put his hands on my butt and pushed me into the motor of the Humvee, which I, you know, caught myself. And luckily my hand didn't go into the fan belt. But um, that was just an example of what was to come, you know, just kind of stuff like that. I was always being picked on and yelled at by the male soldiers. Um, They would, they liked to tease me or try to get me riled up. And then it would cause um, a sergeant to have to, you know, come in and Usually that male that was harassing me was the one who would pull the sergeant in and say, you know, Weber's out of control, you know, and I'd get in trouble and I'd have to, you know, mow lawns or something. I mean, it was just like constant. It felt like constant, you know, um, badgering, harassment, bullying. It sounds honestly like your life became just like a living hell. Really? Yeah. I mean, I hadn't I mean, where from where I come from and who I was known to be and who I was as a person was nothing compared I was no longer that person like at all I'm still having identity issues you know about who I am what I'm supposed to do you know but I mean I remember you know going on a trip down the Rhine River in a kayak with my unit all of the people in my um, in my building probably 20 plus people And I remember a male soldier not helping me when I was stuck under the water and my kayak had overturned. Um, And I remember seeing him through the water and thinking he's about to grab my hand. And the next thing you know, I I woke up, you know, kind of on a a beach. Um, I had a a life vest on and I was full of water. And um, that guy that did that was, you know, this very pronounced Christian man who made it known to everybody that he was very religious. And it just struck me as, you know, it just, it felt like that first year in Germany was all about, this is what life really is, Katie. It wasn't really what you thought it was, you know, and it's been a devastating conclusion for me for many years, how, how terrible people can be when you ask for help. part one of my interview with Kate Weber. Next week, we'll be airing the second half of our conversation, in which we talk about what her life has looked like since leaving the Army, from the struggle of living with PTSD to the healing she's experienced by speaking out about military sexual trauma and working to change the system. If you like this show and want to stay connected to these issues, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Safe Space Radio. You can find all of our past episodes at safespaceradio.com. 
While you're there, subscribe to our email list if you want to find out about each week's new show as soon as it's released. Also, leave us a comment. I'd love to hear from you. My thanks to Gabe Graben for producing the show and to Jim Russell for being our editorial advisor. <laughs>